Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. It was the summer right after I graduated from high school. A good friend and I decided to try our hand at camping. We grew up in the greater Los Angeles area, so our knowledge of the great outdoors was nothing beyond the couple of years that we had in Cub Scouts of America when we were in elementary school. In other words, we had almost no idea what we were doing. But we packed a tent, a couple of sleeping bags, supplies, etc., and headed off in his car. Note well, too, that I grew up in the 80s, so this is a time before the wide prevalence of cell phones and the existence of other portable and digital devices. But we drove north on the 395 for about six hours, and then headed westward into the mountains in the area of Inyo Canyon. The first mistake, too, was that we actually didn't plan on which place to camp, but we just played it by ear, i.e. like fools. The second mistake, we left in mid-afternoon, and it was pitch black darkness when we arrived in the general area. We had driven off the main road and onto a dirt road in order to find a spot to camp. The dust from driving on the dirt road overwhelmed the headlight high beams when we finally decided to pull over and set up camp. It was around 11.30 around this time and we were exhausted and definitely famished. Any place was a good spot to camp for us given our only reason to do so at that point was our hunger and exhaustion. Third mistake, we forgot to bring flashlights. We only had BIC lighters for our cigarettes and that was it. But we tried to set up the camp using our lighters and the headlights of the car which was parked about 10 to 15 feet away. The wind was blowing so the lighter constantly went out after a few seconds either directly because of the wind or indirectly because the wind would push the flame into our thumb. Clearly, we were being complete idiots. But eventually, we finally finished setting up the tent, but at that point, I was just too tired to even eat. My friend eventually managed to make some instant ramen. We smoked a cigarette in the car, and then we just crashed out in the tent. But we awoke to a very cold morning. It must have been around 5.30. And immediately upon exiting the tent, we realized that we were camped at the entrance of a hiking trail. 
there were at least two no camping signs in visible distance from us. So we quickly dismantled the tent, cleaned up and we cleared out. That morning, we ended up buying some cheap flashlights and a nice hot meal in a very small town. If I'm being honest though, it wasn't really a town, but more like a few storefronts and shops on a main road, about the length of an average city block. We went into some office, though I don't really recall exactly what it was. It might have been a park ranger station or the office headquarters for a campground. In any case, we found and reserved a site for that night. The campground was basically like a, a large circle with campsites along its outer circumference, with each campsite being about 50 yards from its neighbor. In the middle of the circle was a common bathroom and a shower. We circled around it once and I think we saw one family that was all set up with a tent and a camper. We found our spot and we set up camp, which was quite far from them. And that night was when we had our creepy encounter. So, my friend and I were laying in the tent just shining our flashlights upwards and chatting. Our new flashlights eventually gave out. Yes, they were broken. Our fire pit was about six feet from the opening of our tent and it was just a sort of glowing ember by this point. We probably should have completely put it out, I know, and we probably shouldn't have had the tent so close. But in any case, there we were just sort of chatting away and having a good time. My friend began to be distracted with his foot and after the third or fourth time, he got up to check his foot. I asked him what was wrong, and he told me that something is tapping his foot from outside of the tent. His foot was against the side of the tent, so from the outside you would have been able to see a bulge in the tent's side where his foot was. It was as if pebbles were being thrown at his foot through the tent or something. Look man, there it is again. What the heck? Each time it happened, there was a sound like pebbles or a light tap. We sort of laughed it off assuming that it was a twig or a grass moving in the wind or perhaps a loose strap on the outside of the tent. I don't recall exactly how it happened at first but I do remember we suddenly became silent at the same time because a sound came to be audible to both of us. Footsteps slowly moving towards our tent. We wondered if it was a bear or some other non-human animal but it seemed distinctly bipedal. They were very slow and measured, like a step every two seconds. I finally said in a whisper, someone's coming. My friend didn't move. His face had an expression of fear. At some point, my friend bolted up and said, screw this. He grabbed his pipe, stuffed it full of pot, and took the biggest, deepest drag that I've ever seen a person take. About a minute or two later, he was out. Weed isn't really my thing, so I was alone in the tent as far as conscious bodies are concerned. I was sitting up at this point and I had taken out the only weapon that I had, a Swiss Army pocket knife. I took out the big and the small blades as well as the ice pick in the middle and held it like some ridiculous melee weapon. I could see the glowing embers in the fire pit through the sheer nylon material of our tent and I was able to roughly but barely discern some of the rocks around it. I watched and listened intently. The footsteps came closer and at the same slow pace. With each step, I could hear the dirt and the rocks underfoot crunching and grinding. At some point, it was clear to me too that whoever it was was standing between the tent and the fire pit because my fuzzy line of sight to the burning embers through the nylon tent became obscured by something outside of it. The footsteps stopped right at the front of the tent. 
about six to eight inches from the entrance of the tent. It was silent for about one minute, and then I heard a click. At exactly the same time, I clearly saw through the nylon tent wall a flashlight turn on. I was able to see not just the flashlight though, but the outline of the hand holding it. The flashlight was shining on the zipper entrance into the tent, just inches from the zipper, and the blood instantly drained out of my head and my palms became dripping in sweat. I yelled, who's there? There was some fear in my voice, but it was mostly aggressive in tone. Whoever it was, the person immediately turned off their flashlight. I didn't move, but neither did they. The person just stood there inches from the tent's only entrance. My friend is out, totally unaware of what's going on. Nevertheless, I pretend that he was still awake and whispered just loud enough to be audible to our visitor. Yeah, it's loaded. There's one in the chamber? As if my friend was awake and asked me about our gun. The fourth mistake, though, was that we didn't actually have a gun or any real weapon for self-defense. It felt like an eternity, too, but after sitting still for at least ten minutes, I heard feet slowly turning in the dirt and slowly walking away from the tent. I stayed up the whole night that night, and it wasn't until the light of dawn came through the tent that I finally... The heat inside the tent woke us up, and it was near noon by this point. We went outside to inspect the site, but we found nothing missing. However, we did find footprints leading away from our campsite, and outside the campground. And I can assure you that... That was the last time that I ever camped in a tent. So this happened years ago and I haven't really shared it anywhere else other than with other people around me when the supernatural topic comes up. But apart from that, I sort of keep it to myself. Now, I think I was about 12 at the time and me and my two cousins, for reference Garrett was also 12 and my cousin Jessa and her friend were both 14. Being the little stirrers that we were, whenever I would come up to visit, we always liked to sneak out of the house and go and get into all kind of shenanigans around the neighborhood. And tonight we were going to go gnoming. Basically it's a modified version of a classic Nicky Nicky Nine Doors game, where we would knock on someone's door and see who could stand on the victim's lawn without moving for the longest. It's a pretty heavy wooded area along the coast, lots of wildlife too, so we started our journey around 10pm. I don't think any of us could muster the balls to do it because everyone's lights were off and I guess we had some respect. But I remember the moon being super big that night, a great moon too. Also, I'm going to add here that there were a big series of lights on the water where you could see down the hill, but that could have just been one of the ferries for sure. Anyways, we continued up a hill towards a wooded area that we liked to call the Witch's Forest. We had wild imaginations back then. Upon continuing about 200 meters away, three tall white figures walked out of the forest. And they almost looked like they had white robes on, but big black eyes in the middle and long bony hands. Immediately too, we all felt this feeling of dread. And then an eerie silence overcame the entire area. I remember being frozen and all of us just sort of standing there not moving, wide-eyed and confused, when I suddenly jolted and grabbed my cousin Garrett's arm and yelled, we need to leave now. 
My cousin, after giving his head a shake, came to his senses, but my cousin Jessa and her friend Diana were not responding, as if in some sort of state of shock or something. So, in the end, we just grabbed them and whipped them back by their arms, where they seemed to have come back from whatever trance that they were in. And we ran back extremely quickly. Upon turning the corner too and making it back to the house, the sound of the night came back too, which was really weird. I don't know what it was or if it was anything that we saw in the end, but it terrified me and my cousins for years. I don't think we slept that night too. I think we just stayed up talking about it all night. The feeling of just being totally out of control overcame us, I suppose, and I don't know how or why I was able to snap out of it, but I did, and I think I'm grateful for that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. About a month ago, when summer was just at its end, my friend Rose and I decided to go for a drive up to the mountains. I grew up nearly out of the city limits and drove the mountain roads often. Rose is a newer friend in my life and had only been up the mountains maybe a few times. So I was eager to show her how cool it was at night, especially when you're headed back to town and you can see all of the city lights as you're leaving the foothills. Now, I love listening to creepy videos and watching scary movies, which may have been a big help for Rose and I on this particular night. So we headed up in my van, a dependable 2003 Toyota, who had made the journey with me dozens of times before. There's a part where the pavement ends and the gravel road takes you deeper into the mountain, and just beside this stretch of asphalt to gravel is a stretch of dirt that people use to park their trucks and trailers. Rose and I drove by and I noted that the pullout was empty, as was normal for this time of night. It was 10pm, the sun had set, and the lights with timers had all turned on in town. 
I'd never seen any lights up in the mountain though. Almost every farming field on the mountains is fenced off with a locked gate that will say private property. Normally too with bullet holes in the middle to show that the owners are armed and generally are pretty ticked off at idiots that try to break into their fields. Every field in the mountains is watered with a, a center pivot irrigation system too. Those are the, the sort of long, repeatedly arched systems with metal frames and wheels. They're commonly seen all over the United States agricultural districts. I'd seen a few irrigation systems in town that have lights with timers on them. So at first, I wasn't too surprised when I saw one light in a field. We'd only gone maybe a, a quarter of a mile in by now, but then I remembered that not only had the light not been there before, it was actually in the wrong place. I sighed, which was probably not what Rose wanted to hear in the middle of our first nighttime mountain excursion. Rose asked, what's up? Well, I know farmers are harvesting now, so I guess a light in a field makes sense, but at the same time, I've never seen that one before. I say, gesturing off to our right, where there's a very random amber light off at the edge of the field. It's dark enough that I can't see any of the fences or any of the boulders around it, but I was familiar enough with the mountains to know that it was the edge of the property. I started to tap on the wheel anxiously as I was filled with mixed emotions. I was eager to keep going because the mountains were going to be beautiful in the half moon and Rose had never seen them at night before, like I said. But at the same time, my brain told me that if I'm going to listen to a few dozen hours of horror stories per month... I'd at least better get some meaning out of them. So, I say, I'm sorry Rose, I would keep going. Those were tractor headlights I think, but I've never seen just one headlight right there, especially in that field. I've never even seen it farmed, so it wouldn't make sense to waste energy or money lighting it. Rose is amazing and didn't mind that we were turning around only a quarter of a mile in. We turn and we head back towards the asphalt. I had no idea why, but I felt like there was a, a clock that had suddenly started ticking. Hey Rose, could you please hold the handle? I'm going to go fast enough that you might want to hold on to something. I promise that we're safe though, okay? Rose silently clutched the handle above the passenger side of the door and I went faster. I felt the sense that it was time to hurry up, so I did. I zoomed back towards the asphalt as fast as I dared, my sense of trepidation only intensifying when we finally reached the truck parking zone. And there was a white truck and a flatbed trailer that had not been there less than 10 minutes before this. And five, maybe even six guys were around the truck that had its headlights on. But one guy was in a UTV, backing it off the flatbed trailer so fast that I thought that he was going to crash into one of his friends. I raced by and somebody ran behind the car. I raced by and somebody ran behind the car. I quickly turned onto a road that would lead to the main road. Rose, I asked while inclining my way up to 70 miles per hour. Were those people there when we drove by earlier? I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't crazy. I'm pretty sure they weren't, Rose said evenly. Huh, I sighed copying her tone, even as I jumped up to 75 and glanced in my rearview mirror. As far as I could tell, they weren't following us, which was good, but we had eight miles of straight flat roads with no cover before we actually managed to reach civilization again. Did they seem like they were in a hurry to you? There was no other traffic, so we didn't have to slow down for anyone, 
which helped us both remain as calm as possible. Just a bit, she said nervously, looking over her shoulder to check if any cars were following us. Thankfully, nobody came and we drove to a crowded restaurant and sat in the car while we calmed down. We tried to think of a reason why those guys would have shown up so abruptly in the middle of the night like that. Rose suggested that maybe their friends were camping and were in trouble, but all of the land in the mountains are private property, so nobody camps there. All I can say is that I'm glad that Rose and I left, so we didn't have to find out why six guys decided that they needed to rush up the mountain in the middle of the night and chase our car like that. So I just moved not too long ago to a house on the other side of the city. I was barely even settled in when all of this happened. One of the first things I took care of was to get my home security up and running. I'm a very cautious person at the best of times because of things that have happened in the past. And I don't feel comfortable without cameras and motion detectors, etc. It was my second day in this house, as in actually living there with everything set up. I was at my desk working on my newest Unreal Engine project when I glanced at the monitor for my cameras, which showed a man standing in the street in front of my house. He was by my mailbox and I watched for a minute as he would reach toward my box then stop like he was hesitating and look up at my house. I found it odd and I decided to go and see what was going on. I wasn't too concerned as I owned a pistol and had it with me. But by the time that I got out there, which wasn't very long, mind you, the guy was gone. He'd already crossed the street to the next block and was walking away pretty quickly. I didn't think too much of it. I really figured that he had the wrong house or something simple like that. I checked the mailbox too, just because of him being right there, and it was still empty. I'd very briefly entertained the notion that he'd place something inside. Maybe something grisly or frightening, but... That was probably a result of me reading too much Stephen King. Anyway, it didn't take long for me to forget about the incident entirely and bury myself into my computer again. Hours passed and before I knew it, it was midnight and I decided it was time to go and relax and I went down to lay on my couch and watch some TV. I would say probably about 20 minutes later, I started hearing noises from outside I pulled up my phone and checked my cameras, but there seemed to be nothing going on outside and the motion detectors hadn't triggered, so I just went back to my show. I looked up just a while later and I saw a man looking through my window staring right at me. I yelled, what the heck man, and jumped off the couch grabbing my pistol off the table. He wasn't in the window anymore, so I went outside to the side of my house and I didn't see him. I checked my entire property and... The man was now gone. The camera showed that he'd actually run into my backyard and hopped my fence into the alley and he was pretty fast about it too. I realized that it was the man from earlier and wondered what the heck was going on. I debated filing a police report but in the end I decided not to. I haven't had a wonderful experience in the past with law enforcement and tend to avoid it if I can. I did note at the time though that none of my motion sensors had triggered when this happened and figured that they were probably not set up right. I didn't want to check them as it was early in the morning and dark, so I planned to do so later in the day. And I soon found that I had been wrong. 
I ended up dozing off on the couch and I was awoken to the motion sensor alarm going off. I'm not a heavy sleeper and it didn't take me long at all to respond. All in all, it was probably just a few seconds before I got outside. And it was of course this man again. He was running down the street in the same direction as the first time too. But this time, I found something quite bothersome on the footage. The man hadn't even triggered the motion alarms. He'd been at my window looking in for like several minutes already by the time the alarm went off. Apparently, just watching me sleep... I don't know, but the alarm was triggered on the other side of my house by my neighbor's dog, of all things. And to this day, I still just don't have any answers. A neighbor of mine saw the footage and thought that it was the son of the house's former resident, who was known to be pretty unstable and disturbed. I did file a police report, and of course, nothing ever came of it. They didn't even really waste much time or energy looking into it. In the end, I have no idea how he avoided triggering the motion sensors like that, or what he wanted from me. But I will tell you that I do keep my windows closed and curtains drawn from now on, because you never know who's watching. So, I briefly lived in a 300-year-old farmhouse that was actually famous for being a key property in the Underground Railroad in Indiana. There were a, a lot of creepy things that happened while we were there, but here's some of the things that I can remember. So, my mother collected glass angels, and one night we woke up to her freaking out because every single angel in the house, probably close to like 100, were turned 180 degrees around and faced away from the center of the room. She would normally only have them face to the center of the room, so this was really weird. On another occasion, my sister and I both saw the same extremely tall, thin man in a baggy coat walking around in the hallways at night. We didn't even know that we both saw him until almost a decade later when we were just talking about stuff that happened there and we both mentioned it. My aunt actually came over once and was stirring her coffee with a spoon when the spoon stopped on its own and started stirring in the opposite direction. My dad too had set his coffee down on the table one day and when he walked back into the room, the coffee was, as he described it, aggressively stirring itself. Like the metal spoon was upright in the air and everything. This one still bothers me to this day too because it's extremely weird. The house would never go cold but it would get extremely extremely hot all of a sudden before returning to normal temperatures, specifically upstairs in my sister's room. There was also a hidden room behind a bookshelf and under a fake floor where slaves crossing into Indiana would hide. This is the only writing on the house I remember reading and I specifically remembered seeing claw marks on the walls of that room. To be fair, it was an old house, and who knows what kind of critters have been down there, so it's a bit of an iffy one, for sure. But things would get knocked off shelves, and furniture would move almost constantly. We had a center coffee table with pull-out stools, and the stools would be found all over the place all the time, even on top of the table sometimes. The top floor of the house burnt down in the 70s, and no one was injured or died in the fire, but they did have to rebuild the upstairs, and on the stairway up to the second floor, there was a distinct portion of the wall where the house was obviously rebuilt. It went from like brick to drywall right at that spot. Oh, and uh, I almost forgot, but this was a really big one too. When we were looking at the house before moving in, before we even walked in, my sister said, did someone die here? 
and it turns out that somebody did die after falling off the ladder and cracking their head on the little walkway up to the front door. I remember my mum thinking too that it was super weird when she found out what had happened. And really, that's pretty much it. I don't distinctly remember hearing voices, seeing shadow creatures, or anything outside of these exact events. I've just been thinking about it a lot recently and I figured that I would share it with you guys. And I'm down to hear your theories if you guys would like to share, but either way, thanks for listening. When I was in college, I got a job delivering pizza late at night. Typically, I would work until about 2 in the morning. It was a pretty terrible job, I admit, and the shop was extremely dirty, unsanitary, and falling apart, but... I typically made really good tips, so it was sort of worth it. I was 19 at the time, female, and it's summertime in CO, so even at night it's still fairly warm. Important details for later. So, this is my second weekend on the job. I was still getting used to it, and I'm already a bit paranoid as a person, so I preferred just dropping off the pizza, taking my tip, and then leaving right away for the next delivery. Pretty much never went inside the person's house, and if I did, I would just step inside real quick but leave the door open. Now, it was pretty close to midnight when I got a delivery to a house on the east side of town. It was supposed to be my last delivery of the night. I pulled up to the house, and it looked pretty normal from the outside. The street was really dark, but I didn't feel uncomfortable or anything, so I walked up to the door and knocked. This big shirtless old dude with a beer belly answers the door and tells me to come inside and instantly I got weird vibes from him off the bat. I declined to come in and tried to just give him the pizza right there but then he goes, come inside, it's freezing out and we don't want the cold air coming in. This didn't make sense to me as it was summer but I stupidly get nervous and I take one step inside the house, not going all the way in though. Then he goes, no, come all the way in, it's cold out. I know that I should have left at this point, but I was freaking out not thinking straight, so I went in and he closed both the screen door and the main door behind me. I'm trying to calm myself down, telling myself that I'm just overreacting. He then tells his wife that the pizza's here. I can see her in the kitchen cooking, which seemed weird that she ordered pizza but was also cooking. I don't know. People do weird things. I look around the living room and it's filled to the brim with stuffed animals, completely covering the couches, tables, windowsills, everything. And it just gave me a really weird vibe. Then his wife comes into the living room holding something outstretched in her hand. She walks up to me and I see that it's some kind of bread or cake. And she goes, eat this banana bread and don't worry, it's not poisonous. And... What the heck, right? I try to politely decline, lying and saying that I'm on a diet. She just stares at me, still with a hand outstretched, waiting for me to take the bread. I don't take it, and, and she gets really upset and starts yelling at me to eat the bread. I decline again, but this time I'm not trying to be polite, and I tell the couple that I really better get going back to work. I'm still holding the pizza too and thinking about just running out the door at this point. But she gives up on trying to make me eat this bread and walks back into the kitchen. Then the man is like, let me find some change for your tip. And he starts looking all around the living room, digging through the couch cushions, trying to find change to give me. 
I tell him to forget about it and that I don't need the tip, that he can just take the pizza, but he insists on finding a tip for me. He spends the next several minutes searching his stuffed animal infested living room for change and I start to think to myself that I think they're trying to stall me here. Most people have the tip ready when I get to their house, you see, so this was really weird. I was so worked up at this point too that I just tell the dude that I'm leaving and I start to open the door. He took his pizza and gave me a few quarters that he found and I booked it out of there and went back to the shop. I told my supervisor when I got back what happened and he didn't seem to care one bit. He just sent me on another delivery and that was that. I was pretty ticked off by that but I don't know. If that couple was actually creepy or maybe they were just socially awkward and I don't know what the heck was going on but luckily I never delivered to that house again which I'm very thankful for. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you, mates, in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.